Let's set the scene. November 11th, 2016. The platform? Facebook Messenger. The players? Lindsay and a relative whose name shall not be disclosed to preserve the peace this Thanksgiving. Please calm down over this election. Your posts have become quite offensive. Your life will not change today, tomorrow, or next year because you don't like the results. Remember this. God establishes authorities for his purpose and because he can. Let's wait and see what happens. God didn't vote for him. You did. As a queer woman of childbearing age who has survived sexual assault, my rights are at stake. The lives of my friends are at stake. I have friends who have been explicitly threatened by Trump supporters for nothing more than existing in their skin. It breaks my heart that you refuse to see the suffering. Yes, I did vote for him. Your rebellion will lead to eternal damnation, and that is sad. Season of the Bitch, the leftist women's podcast reminding you that the pilgrims were not great. Nope. This week we have Kellen, Lindsay, and Laura. This week we are discussing a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts, handling the holidays with your conservative relatives, or maybe not so conservative relatives. Relatives in general can be challenging sometimes. It's always tough how to know to best handle these sorts of situations. Should you get angry and adamant or let things roll off your back? During this episode, we're going to talk about various issues that have happened within our families during and before the holidays and how we've dealt with it in the past, and how we're going to try to handle it this time around and possibly in the future. Yeah. So as is probably obvious, now that you're listening to this, this is our Thanksgiving episode. So Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Uh, (laughs) We are mainly talking about that holiday, but I think it applies sort of across the board. Um, But one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is Thanksgiving itself, the holiday, how it came to be. And it's, I think, always been a political holiday in its nature. So it's not so Mm. strange that we're having, you know, these kinds of issues at Thanksgiving. So obviously, when we think about Thanksgiving, we're thinking about the pilgrims, you know, their buckle hats and shoes and corn and turkeys and that sort of thing. But the holiday itself didn't come into being until 1863. So Lincoln, during the Civil War, issued a presidential proclamation creating the national holiday. So there were always sort of celebrations in local communities, but it became a national holiday. So it was in 1863, he announced that the United States you know, there's this customary holiday, but in the face of the war, the United States had a lot to be thankful for and should thank God, even though, and this is in his, in his statement that he issued creating the holiday, even though God was like raining down hellfire as a punishment for slavery. So even in the, the creation of the holiday itself, you have a political statement about slavery being something that the United States was going to have to pay for in this sort of awful war that's that they're in the midst of. It's already killed hundreds of thousands of people. And it was not celebrated in the South, or it wasn't that the... the Holiday itself, as Lincoln announced it, was not celebrated in the South until the 1870s because people were just, uh, yeah, not not really on board with that, as you <laughs> might imagine. And in, into the 20th century, it continued to be sort of a, a nationalist holiday in a lot of ways. FDR changed the date of the holiday. Actually, I should say it was changed first after World War One because Lincoln had it being celebrated at the beginning of November, but that was very close to Armistice Day, which became Veterans Day. And then FDR moved it to the fourth Thursday in November. And all of this is just to say 
that there's sort of a long history of Thanksgiving being used as, as sort of a, a political tool at the highest level by presidents to say absolutely nothing of the iconography that goes along with Thanksgiving, which is, mm. you know, just totally erases the real history of settler, settler colonialism in America. But the holiday itself has long been sort of a political tool of white nationalist patriotism. So it's a little wonder that we often find ourselves probably butting heads with relatives at this <laughs> at this uh this holiday. Yeah, totally. I also feel like the fact that it's so close to elections is <laughs> yeah. yeah. just like, yeah, we're gonna I don't know. I feel like it's it's like half of a family can be like triumphant and the other half is like hanging their heads or whatever. I too wanted to share a <laughs> a Facebook Messenger story from November 11th, 2016. The worst day for Facebook Messenger. <laughs> yeah, it was probably the true yeah, truly the worst day. So a family member who will also remain unnamed sent me a link about it's called What So Many People Don't Get About the US Working Class. And it was in Harvard Business Review, and it's essentially saying that Trump won because of, well, it was saying that it was a good thing for white working class men, essentially, and the anxiety that comes from needing to be the breadwinner and things like this. So this family member sent me this and essentially just was like, an interesting perspective. Keep this in mind with all of your posts and listening to others is a good thing kind of bullshit. And I was like, hi, not really sure why you're contacting me as you know where I stand on these issues, <laughs> but let's get into it. And I respond with like a massive kind of, you know how when someone sends you an article and you're like, you clearly didn't read this closely and then you obsessively <laughs> go through it like sentence by sentence. Oh, and yeah, I mean, like, that's a normal thing to do, right? And you're like, let me go through this sentence by sentence and explain why this is ridiculous. So I did that. And then he said, Laura, I sent you the article, not in any defense of the idiots that ran for president, but because I believe the Democratic Party has been misguided by Clinton and has lost touch with many Americans. Now is the perfect opportunity to take action Action in the form of thoughtful dialogue, listening, and protest, though not through the dissemination of questionable reporting and the spreading of fear and, worst of all, senseless violence in the streets. Uh, of course, he's talking about fucking property damage, not actual violence, but, <laughs> like, whatever. So he keeps going on and it essentially is talking. He's like, the perspective you're saying is only one type of economic thought and I'm coming from this other um, economic thought blah 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 and then he says my hope is that you and the rest of your peers whether liberal conservative moderate or whatever start to think for yourselves and start forming your own opinions opinions mm. built not on biased media or some fringe agenda <laughs> but opinion based upon a deep understanding of the issues of all people and of all walks of life and your own personal vision independently yours and I was like, oh, okay, I really feel like you're not understanding my perspective. And I would ask you to not insult my intelligence. Um, and essentially it was just like, go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> and it, all that to say is it didn't end well. He just ended up being a chauvinist idiot who thought that me defending my own thought process was belittling to him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all family can rest assured that this is not a good way to communicate. And so I wanted to bring that up because it was one of those things that I was like, why is this person even reaching out to me? Why is this person seeking dialogue with me? We know we have nothing in common. We've gotten into political arguments before. What is their purpose in doing this? And I think – that that when we get to later in the in the episode where we kind of like make plans for moving forward for me it's like you kind of got to like one of the main things is you've got to be strategic and like 
understand where to cut your losses. And I am surprised that he didn't do this to me, that he somehow thought he could like bestow his conservative feelings out to me and that I would be like, yeah, totally. I get it. White working class men are so, man, they, they're really struggling. And it's like, yeah, sure. And also, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like socialism also cares about the working class. Like it's not strictly conservatism, although I guess it's strictly conservatism that cares specifically about the intersection of the white male working class. Right, right, right. But yeah, like and the, the article also said specifically that the working class is the middle class and not the working poor. I'm and I sorry. was like, yeah, <laughs> this this whole article was a garbage can that he started with. So I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I cut my losses on that one. I was like, see you sometime soon, hopefully, and let's not talk when that happens. <laughs> it's the best you can hope for. Exactly. Yeah. My messages from family after the election were a little different. <laughs> my extended family, my uncle <laughs> on Facebook, these are both Facebook comments, just he posted on my wall. I guess it's not called that anymore. We're revealing our ages here. But uh, he said, <laughs> God help us, fingers crossed, and keeping the glass full of bourbon. So you can definitely tell I'm, uh, my family's from Kentucky. <laughs> and then my, <laughs> the weekend after the election, um, one of my good friends came to visit me and I posted a picture and my <laughs> grandpa <laughs> commented on it. Keep up the fun, semicolon. Too much to be despondent about outside our control. Dot, 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 Papa. Sweet. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> but yeah, it's I uh, as so you can probably good. probably tell from <laughs> those comments, my I I don't really come from a conservative family. I come from a background of sort of southern liberals, which may be a, a group of people that people listening are familiar with or, or not. So I don't have a lot of experiences with major frustration at the holidays. I mean, I'm definitely further to the left than other people at the table, but we, I would say, mostly agree about a lot of things like universal health care, affordable housing, you know, good public schools being really important, stuff like that. Although <laughs> I did get really upset one time trying to talk to a lawyer family member. She, and I think this was partly, I think she may have felt like I was attacking her profession, which I definitely did not mean to be. But she sort of said that the criminal justice system has problems specifically with race because of individual actors' racism but that the system mm. itself stripped of its human actors is like blind and fair. Mm. <laughs> and I literally started crying, <laughs> um, arguing that like the system itself is bankrupt. But yeah, yes. um, other than that breakdown, I really have super, have it super good in terms of family and where they're at with politics and everything. Yeah. I just want to touch on that, that point really quickly. Cause like my criminal class this semester has been, amazing like this past week we talked about privilege and intersectionality which is not really something that the other criminal sections have gone into but I have the coolest professor but something that we discussed uh earlier in the semester was like how with like first degree murder common law first degree murder there is a like partial defense that will kind of mitigate it from first degree murder to manslaughter which is like if there's adequate provocation which basically means if you are in a fight and murder somebody, or if they attack someone you love and you murder them, or if you, like, catch somebody sleeping with your partner, your spouse, uh, you can murder them, and it'll be downgraded not, I mean, you won't get a like, complete defense, but it'll be downgraded from first-degree murder to, you know, voluntary manslaughter, mm. and um, my professor was like, so, he, he's like, only the women can answer this question, but if you walked in on your husband sleeping with someone else, would you murder them? And most of the women in the class were like, no, of course not. And of course, like the guys were like, yeah, like I could see that. But basically the point was that the things that are considered reasonable provocation or adequate provocation for men are often not seen as adequate provocation for women. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's like one way in which there is an obvious disparity. Right. Um, and then there's also like the necessity defense for committing crimes and Apparently, economic necessity is never a defense. 
um, mm. which is bullshit. And of course, privileges people who don't have economic needs. And it also makes it really difficult because right. like, what is a strictly economic need versus like a social need? I mean, right. if you're stealing food to save your starving children, is that because you didn't have money or because you are trying to save your children's life? And it's a little mm. bit of both. Yeah, like the the criminal justice system is not <laughs> like as a system, there are biases that have to be confronted. It's not, you know, fair and just fundamentally, which is just, yeah. So like, I don't know that it bothers me so much that people who have studied it still still think that it's, you know, the baseline is is fair. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's part of why I want to get into law, because you can change things as a lawyer. Anyway, sorry. That's my no, tangent. Not at all. <laughs> no, I think, oh my God. I think that's like, it, it's also sort of a good example of the breakdown between like liberal politics and leftist politics, you know, arguing mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. systemic issues versus thinking about individual actors and their biases, which are, you know, right. like, important but not the whole story. But again, you know, if this is the problem that I'm having at my, you know, Thanksgiving table, it's mm, not that It's like bad. a higher tier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like also it, you know, the difference between liberals and leftists come out too, where like liberals believe in law and order, <laughs> like think that law and order is a good thing. It's a great um, show. Yeah, SVU, I'm all for it. I mean the actual law in order, y'all, but yes. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I, I think that like there there is a disconnect where people who understand that laws can be created um, and amplify injustices are people who understand that those laws can and should be questioned, whereas I think some people who are like, well – we live in a democracy and the democracy determined this thing. And it's like, uh, and this is a little bit of a tangent as well, but I think that there's definitely some, some real, real disconnects there. Even if you're in friendly ish territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Liberals aren't leftists anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Liberals are not leftists y'all. Yeah. My, uh, my, my experience is very different than Helen. <laughs> um, uh, uh, this first one, I like have a hard time even talking about because I'm mad at myself with how I reacted at the time. And it's just really, I don't know. It's been something that's been upsetting. So a little bit of background on my family just to help kind of visualize what's going on. My parents are divorced. They've been divorced since I was seven. And my mom's family is massive. Um, I have about 30 cousins on that side, you know, 12 aunts and uncles when we count their spouses. And my dad's side is like very small. He's an only child. I have no cousins on that side. And my dad is, you know, my dad voted for Trump. He's kind of a shyster. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. But like, because I'm the only one, I can like kind of give him shit for his Trump politics and it's actually okay. But the stories that I'm about to share are more on my mom's side where there's just like a shit ton of relatives. So the first one I wanted to share was a few years ago, right after Mike Brown was killed by a police officer. That's also when I got <laughs> very emotional. <laughs> Same Thanksgiving. Uh. Yeah, it's if yeah, because obviously shit was really fucked up. And I was at one of my aunt's house um, with this large amount of family and I wandered into the quote unquote sports room, which is the room where many of my male relatives drink shitty beer and yell at the Buffalo Sabres on the screen. (laughs) And I kind of went into that room so that I could just kind of like sink into the background because I have social anxiety And it's helpful for me sometimes to just be in a space where I don't have to interact with anyone. And I figured that could kind of happen in the sports room. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I would be able to sink into the background. But they started talking about the Mike Brown shooting. And for many of them, I was not really surprised that this was like par for the course, that 
they are racist, sheltered, and privileged men who are Blue Lives Matterists to a fault. But one of my cousin's husband, who's a high school teacher and a varsity football coach for a school that is predominantly black, I was just so distraught because he not only coaches teenage boys, teenage black boys on a daily basis, but understands at least to some level systemic oppression because of what he interacts with on a daily basis. And he, this, this, my cousin's husband was like, well, he did shoplift. So, and I kept telling them, like, I didn't think it was appropriate for them to speak about it in the way that they were. And I ended up getting so upset that I just found my siblings and we all left. And I just knew that I would say things that I would regret later and I needed to remove myself from the situation. But looking back on it, I'm so pissed that I didn't, you know, say more and I didn't do more to talk about how ridiculous it is that you could think someone who shoplifts deserves to die or how how anything that they were speaking about made any sense. But I was new. I mean, this was several years ago at this point, and I was new to understanding the nuances of the Black Lives Matter movement, and I still was figuring out my own place in talking about that as a white ally. And I, I feel like I still think about that situation and feel so much regret for not speaking up. And I think when we think about like what moments we want to like insert ourselves into that things involving racism specifically in white families are like for me moments that we should be stepping up and saying things and I definitely am like pissed that I didn't at this time yeah I definitely have a lot of those (laughs) I don't know there was uh, one Thanksgiving actually where I (laughs) no it was a Christmas and I showed up at my aunt and uncle's house and my uncle who lived there and uh my grandma were like very cold to one another and it turned out that my grandmother had like used the n-word before I got there and my uncle was like you can't say that and you especially can't say that in my house and then the rest of my family got mad at my uncle for telling my grandma what to do uh even though she was wrong right Um, it was frosty he's my cool uncle (laughs) I mean I have cool uncles on the other side of my family as well but like on that side of my family. He's the cool one. So I definitely took a side. I was like, yeah, grandma, you probably shouldn't have said that. But I kind of like, I miss my opportunity. And obviously, like, I don't feel like it's my place most of the time to tell my grandma what to do. Mm. Um, I think, yeah. I don't know, kind of de-escalating, like, <laughs> some of my most frequent arguments with my family are like, on the basis of my being a vegan. So I mean, they'll ask why or like how I get my nutrition. And I I mean, I'll talk about why, you know, I think it can be an ethical and a healthy, sustainable choice, why it's political for me. And my family is just like, I don't know, they'll try and argue it every year. Like I haven't, I've been vegetarian. No, I was vegetarian for two years before I was vegan and I've been vegan for almost four years now. So they should Mm. be used to it by now. But I have these conversations every Thanksgiving and it's such a pain in my ass totally (laughs) let's just like no like everyone expects you to not be a vegan anymore like that up you're like no yeah exactly still question mark just looking you dead in the eyes yeah yeah I have similar issues I'm a vegetarian but I used to be a vegan for it actually is while sometimes it's annoying this is one of like the silver linings of my family like they're all amazing cooks and Mm -hmm. my stepdad um goes out of his way to make a lot of amazing vegetarian and vegan things like he'll make a vegan gravy in addition to the regular gravy Mm -hmm. and um some other stuff so I'm super grateful for that the surprising shit that I get often comes from my brother who was vegan for like four years but then went cold turkey (laughs) back to um, (laughs) eating meat (laughs) and like didn't like go into vegetarianism he just like went full into being a meat eater again and now he's like the biggest critic of it he's like yeah Laura you shouldn't be doing that anymore but like he's just he's a funny dude so that that is like a silver lining that I have for that yeah similar to your story about Mike Brown Laura and this isn't you know a 
Thanksgiving or Christmas story, but like the day I got married was also the day of Walter Scott's funeral. And I kept like, and Walter Scott was the man who was a, was shot by a cop in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and the cop then planted a taser on him. Um, and all that was caught on video. Um, and the day that I got married was the day of his funeral. And I had so many feelings about it. Like I didn't really live close to any of the protests or vigils or anything that was going on, but like I was considering just, you know, ditching and driving a few hours and going to one of, you know, one of the vigils. And I mean, I wasn't having a wedding and my elopement was botched by my family. Uh, So I was like, I was not really into it anyway. But one of my family members was like, I was, I mentioned it to one of my family members and they were talking about how he deserved it essentially. Um, And how uh, anyone who doesn't pay their child support, which was, you know, the warrant that he had out for his arrest was for non-payment of child support. How anyone who doesn't pay their child support deserves to be castrated. So they can't have oh more children. God. Uh, deserves to be in prison because apparently, like, not making money is an ethical failing. And that because he ran from the cops, he deserved to be shot. And so I replied. I was like, your first argument is eugenicist. Poor people should also be allowed to have children. Right. <laughs> and I was like, also, people who are in prison, like, they, what they do get paid is even less than a minimum wage. Like... If they get paid. So putting a man in prison for not paying his child support is not going to help him catch up on his child support. Mm -hmm. If he has a job, which Walter Scott did at that time, he will lose that job because he's in prison and he will get further in arrears on his child support. Like it doesn't help the problem that you're punishing him for when he's trying to make good. Um, Also, non-payment of child support and running from the cops, those are not capital crimes. Like, Right. The death sentence is not a punishment for either of those things. It's completely inappropriate. Yeah, so I like we were going to have a family dinner that night and I was like I was so close to just calling the whole thing off, like getting married. We were just going to have a notary sign our papers and just like not coming home, not coming yeah. back over to my, you know, parents' house where we were going to have dinner. But I I mean, I just left at that point and cooled down for a few hours and came back cuz all of my holidays are tense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you need to take care of yourself, especially when that day is supposed to be about you exactly. and your partner. Not... And everybody was making it about themselves, which is why, mm. yeah, why the elopement was botched. Mm. Once you tell anybody, if you're planning on eloping, one, I recommend it. Two, don't <laughs> tell anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then also I, I have, uh, I don't know, the same thing happened with both my family and with my husband's family a couple years apart. And, you know, one of, in both cases, it was like one of the male relatives who said something along the lines of, thank God all the kids are straight. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And as a queer person, I was just like, I wouldn't be so sure about that when it happened in my own family. But then uh, when it happened in my husband's family, there were at least three of us in the room who were not straight and we just like gave each other major side eye and have laughed about it ever since because like yeah what a shitty thing to say but also we're here you just don't know because we don't tell our relatives who we want to fuck like that's not a conversation we have (laughs) too real yeah people also have no idea to handle like nuances of queerness like well you're married and you have a husband and you're in a heterosexual relationship so you can't be queer like, people just don't even know what the fuck to do with that. Yeah. It's stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. The the second story I wanted to share, like, my whole, like, massive extended family gets together on a day that's not Thanksgiving. But so my close, you know, nuclear family gets together and my two cousins and their mom and my grandma. And so we all get together and we kind of go around and say what we're all grateful for and my grandma had just come out of the hospital. So, you know, she went first and was like, I'm grateful for my good health. My mom went and she was like, I'm grateful that my mother is here. I'm grateful that we're all here together. And then my stepdad went and he like pauses and looks at me and my siblings and my two cousins. And he just like looks at us and is like, I'm grateful for the wisdom that comes with age. And again, this is right after the Trump presidency. And so it was like laced with all of this 
kind of like condescension and terrible shit. And like my sister has actually confronted him about this since then. And he's like, oh, I just meant I just was trying to make grandma feel better for how old she is. And my sister was like, no, you definitely weren't. Like, (laughs) Uh, and I mean, it's like not that big of a deal, but that's like kind of apolitical on some level. It's like just ageist. And it's like, yeah, I'm grateful for the wisdom that comes from being and existing within a woman's body because that has given me a perspective that you can't have. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm grateful for the wisdom that comes from living in an urban space instead of a suburban wasteland. (laughs) Like, uh, I feel like it was so, I don't know. I don't know. My yeah. we we didn't say anything in the moment and just kind of like especially because my grandma and everyone were there we like just said what we were actually grateful for and didn't address it and then later in the basement we all like had several bottles of wine and were like yelling about it in a very cathartic way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best when you're on the same page with at least some of your relatives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I think this is a good time for us to take a quick music break. And when we come back, we'll talk about, like, what we can do in the future slash this week for our families. This is um, a band called Waxahachie, and the title of the track is Never Been Wrong. started diving back into the stuff we're gonna talk about i just wanted to 
acknowledge that this is like a pretty white episode in that I think a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, and Laura kind of mentioned it, but I wanted to be pretty explicit about it, are sort of white family problems mm-hmm. and that we're, you know, coming at this f- definitely from that perspective. I think that, you know, we've talked about a little bit about how everybody, all of, all of the people behind the show, um, we're all white, which is, you know, definitely leads to certain kinds of biases. And we've tried to mitigate that in ways, you know, being very intentional about our guests and the, the subjects that we cover and that sort of thing. But I think this episode obviously having problematic you know conservative relatives and having to hash stuff out with them is not exclusive to any demographic group in America but I, I think a lot of a lot of the specific issues that we've been talking about mm-hmm. are much more prevalent in white families and maybe some of them are exclusive to white families in America mm-hmm. and we just wanted to let listeners know that we're very aware of that and this is sort of a and you should be too <laughs> this is definitely an indication of of sort of the the limitations of our experiences totally you know so i hope there's stuff in in this episode that everybody can relate to but if you are a person of color listening and well first of all if you've made it this far in the episode like thanks for sticking around but um we just (laughs) wanted to say that yeah we we know this these kinds of issues may not be totally representative of your experiences or the conversations with conservative relatives who aren't white may look very different from what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Totally. So for this half or, you know, a little less than half, whatevs, we wanted to, well, so <laughs> we wanted to talk about like what we can do moving forward. And I started this process by looking up different websites that had like the 10 things to do at your Thanksgiving to deal with your conservative relatives. And they were all crap. Like literally every single one of them was terrible. It was just like, it was like how to respect your elders and keep your cool. It's like, no, dude. I don't know. It was just all kind of like liberal garbage. But <laughs> but we, so we figured we can, you know, talk about our own tips and tools. And hopefully that will be helpful, at least on some level. And also tweet us your tips on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Because we want to hear what you do to deal with your fam. Also, the solidarity will really, really help. It'll be nice to know that people are also kind of having a shit day. Totally. Um. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Or have learned how not to have a shit day. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So for me... I guess I wanted to start with I'm really grateful that even though there's a bunch of different a bunch of differences of opinion, my family is generally okay to deal with on the nuclear level. And I don't really want to screw up my relationship with them. So I keep that in mind. And and what do we do when we you know, when we're not at a place of like, well, I don't care, I'm not gonna be close with this relative anymore. When you're still trying to maintain closeness with someone who you may disagree with. And for me, I've dealt with that in a few different ways. One thing that is really common in my family is particularly like with my mom, who I love so dearly. Um, and she'll say things like, we should just rise above the discourse and, and you know, be better together or, you know, mm-hmm. unite above this hate and it's so like she's coming from a genuine place and so you know it's it's easier to start with her there you know and for me it's like I have to remind people that this isn't just like a left and right thing right we're dealing with literal Nazism Mm -hmm. and white supremacy versus other ideological battles right and so I feel like I've tried to, the way that I've tried to still insert some constructive conversations surrounding politics is reminding people that we cannot hold Nazism and white supremacy and misogyny on the same level of like actual political debate. You know, we can have an economic discussion and that can be something that we can actually have on the theoretical level of ideas. But 
when right now the right represents xenophobic, white supremacist, Nazi ideals, we have to actually reject those things because it's not political discourse. It's hate speech. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think starting there for me has been a good like inroad, especially because my family is very religious, like kind of using that to your advantage and being like, it is the moral thing to do is to reject that sort of language. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. I think for me, like meeting people where they are, like ideologically is probably, I don't know, the way that I've made like the most inroads. Hmm. And I, I mean, I haven't really changed my family's opinion, but of course they're also very Christian and suggesting that mm, Jesus was actually a socialist. Um, yes. <laughs> like pointing out, you know, he fed people without charging them. He also didn't charge for health care. He encouraged people hmm. to take care of the widows and orphans without demanding payment from them. I mean, he tossed the tables of, of, uh, like merchants in the temple, he actually engaged in property destruction. Like Jesus was pretty cool and he was a socialist. I actually, um, I love the thing that you just said about not charging for healthcare because it's such a funny way of putting it. But right now I'm imagining yeah. like Jesus being like, you know, the woman who touched the the hem of his cloak and, and mm-hmm. was, you know, trying to get healed. Jesus turning around and being like, um, actually there's a $40 copay. <laughs> so good like and then some like old white priest is like retelling this story (laughs) anyway sorry (laughs) but yeah like i just talking like kind of addressing people on the terms that they are comfortable with and not necessarily addressing not necessarily like fighting them on things that i know that they believe i mean which I, I do sometimes, but I don't think it is as effective mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. as just, you know, addressing things that I know them to believe through a lens that they have summarily dismissed because it is socialist. That seems to work for me. And that seems to get some respect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think so. that, like, I mean, there's, I think there's sort of different, two different kind of conversations that are happening here, and it might be helpful to sort of break it down. So, like, there's one part that's, like, how do we respond to, like, when people say totally inappropriate shit? Like, what Mm -hmm. is, you know, do we engage? Do we walk away? Mm -hmm. And then there's the, like, how do we bring people in to our political movement that might be coming, you know, family that might be coming from a different place? Totally. And I think meeting people where they are is especially effective at the second thing and can be can be effective with the first but I know for me I've talked a little bit on the show about project radicalized stepfather um (laughs) into uh, this idea I know he's he's he listens to these things with my mom so uh shout out what's up uh looking forward to seeing you (laughs) in a few days um (laughs) but uh, hi One of the things that, like, I think, you know, I mean, my, as I've mentioned, I come from a family that's, like, pretty liberal, but I've definitely seen him move more and more to the left, um, especially, like, with Trump's presidency. It's so funny. My mom has to, like, Mm. (laughs) tell him to put his phone down because he's just constantly reading the news and then telling her about, like, the last thing that Trump has done. And she, I think, gets... gets, fed up with it a little quicker than he does totally but one of the things that we've we've talked about is like healthcare, and you know i think that's a that's a i mean it's one of the reasons that like the dsa is really you know moving on the the medicare for all thing but it's you know i think it's it's a point where most people in america you know know somebody or themselves have had problems with the healthcare system, yes. you know, being inefficient, being really expensive, you know, wading through the morass of insurance regulation, like, and sort of starting from the point that's like, you know, like, everybody should have healthcare. And there's no reason that, you know, drug executives are making literally multiple millions of dollars in a single year, you know, when elderly people are having trouble paying for their prescriptions. And that's just like, I I think that's something that so many people can get behind. And sort Mm -hmm. of that being a place to start as like, you know, this is this is a political conversation that we can have. Obviously not everybody, but like a lot of people mm-hmm. be like, wow, the system's really messed up. 
you know, mm. it's just such a great example of, of inequity that for whatever reason, I guess because it affects so many people, it's not, it's not as politically charged, uh, or at least in my experience, hasn't felt as politically charged as talking about like police violence that disproportionately mm. affects, you know, poor people, people of color, and maybe doesn't feel real to middle class or upper class white Americans, um, which are, you know, the people in some of our families. Not that my, you know, mm. radicalized stepdad is uh, not sympathetic <laughs> to that because he totally is. But I, I definitely think that like even early on, healthcare was like one of the places that, you know, was easy to talk about. And mm-hmm. I've definitely had success kind of pushing people to the left with that kind of discussion. Totally. It's a really good inroad. Gateway. Gateway drug. Absolutely. Yes. It's a gateway drug to socialism. <laughs> Jesus and healthcare. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also feel like when it comes to responding to people, you know, that other half, yeah. it, I do feel like it kind of comes into a question I wanted to bring up, but... you know it's a little separate it's like when do we think that that's a lost cause or when do we think that that's worthwhile and generally if it's if it trends towards hate speech Mm -hmm. I'm of the mind that like call it out where it is or at least correct that language because there could be someone in your family or someone visiting your family that's in the room that is like deeply affected by that or like other than just the corrective behavior that should happen because that shit's fucked up like you don't know what other people are necessarily thinking and to like have hopefully a place and strength to be able to say something. I like hesitate on saying that because it's also equally as strong as you if you feel like I can't and I need to separate myself out of this situation. I know for me when it trends towards issues of sexual violence, like I generally exit the conversation because I can't Mm -hmm. but so I I hesitate on saying like having the strength to confront that person but it's more like having the ability to do it in a rational enough way like where you're detached enough from it which is in and of itself a privilege but like where you can correct their behavior in a way that maybe doesn't seem super threatening because an issue that I have is like anytime I react to something it amplifies the character that my family has put in their brains of who I am particularly my extended family but they think like oh that's Laura she's just a radical like oh that's Laura she's just she's insane about these things you know so It's hard when you want to actually make a point, but you're already written off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're already written off by your family. So for me, it's, it is it is a pick your battles kind of situation, whereas like I have to take care of my own mental health. And so that's why I choose to step away in terms of when there's conversations surrounding sexual violence. Mm-hmm. But I also know that especially now in more recent years when it comes to speaking about issues of race, I definitely feel like adamant about speaking up in those, in those arenas with my family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, that's I think a key point is like the distance that you personally have. And a lot of that does come from like privilege. And I think that like, you know, there's a good reason that it might be hard to talk about, I mean, all of this stuff can be hard to talk about, but like, you know, really from a mental health perspective, difficult to correct stuff about sexual violence. Mm -hmm. But all of the people on this podcast, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, but all of us have the privilege of not being affected by racism. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not a tangible thing in our lives in the way that it is for so many other people. And so we, I think, I feel pretty strongly that there's, it's, something of a responsibility for us to speak out when we see or hear people engaging in casual racism in whatever form Mm. that may come and it can be hard when it's a a family situation and again I don't have this issue so much it's you know more in like social circles friends of friends or whatever because I tend to, (laughs) to also not really like associate in you know with people who Mm -hmm. are likely to do stuff like that but I mean 
a lot of people do it on accident. We do it on accident. You know, nobody's above it. And I think that whether it's, you know, stuff that's sort of what Laura was talking about with her family and Mike Brown, you know, you did try to, to say something and it, it didn't totally work. Or whether, you know, it's it's unintentional, maybe even well-meaning side comments by friends or family who is, you know, mm. on the left, like... Or in our from our own comrades, I think that that it's important for us to to stand up to that kind of thing when we can, and yeah. again, especially in, in issues that don't directly affect us. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty decent at engaging in debates without getting too emotional about it. And if I am going to get emotional about it, then I like I know to walk away. I'm like, all right, we're clearly not going to agree on this, and yeah, uh, we should yeah we should probably like break this up before it gets hostile, but. If somebody just says something that is on its face objectionable, I have a very expressive face. So (laughs) I'll like cringe, I'll like make some kind of face to show that like, yeah, no, that's probably not a thing you should say or like, it's a stupid thing to think you're wrong here. And I'm, I'm, I've also gotten pretty good about like sliding in a single sentence. Well, yeah, but like. Maybe you should consider, like, it's capitalism's fault, or maybe you should consider that, like, there's a racial double standard, or, like, something, like, just slip it in and, like, let it go. Because I can't, I have such a hard time just, like, letting things like that truly slide. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I'll either just facially object or with one sentence, and uh, I have to learn when, I mean, I have since learned when to disengage, like, yeah. We're not getting anywhere. We disagree on fundamental principles. That's something else that I, I work on with my disagreements with people. It's finding the terms that we disagree on. Like, what is a basic human right? Like, when it comes to making America greater, you know, what does greatness look like? Like, what does racism mean to you? And if we can't agree on those things and we can both explain to each other what we mean by those things and still don't agree, then I'm like, well, we're just going to waste our time having this conversation and we should probably move along. And I think that that's probably like, that's the thing that has helped me the most. It's it's learning to define what it is that you're arguing about before mm-hmm. you let it get too far and also just learning when to walk away. And something in both of, or two of the kind of bad articles that we read today that kind of hit home for me, actually one of them clearly plagiarized the other on this point, was just telling people don't say that stuff around me. Mm. And I an example of this is I have I have a friend who he's a white guy and he thinks that he can say the n-word because of his like upbringing and his friends and I mean he's justified mm. it entirely to himself. So he thinks that he is justified in saying the n-word. And I debated him on it several times and then I was I was just like don't say it around me and he like kept debating it with me and eventually I was like all right house rule no white people saying the n-word like that's not a thing that will happen here I can't control what you say outside of my house but inside my house you will not say the n-word yeah oh my god that's (laughs) so intense yeah so it's just I don't know telling people like calling people out saying like we will have we will have a fight over this if you insist on doing it Right. So just don't do it around me. Yeah. Right. Because at this point, it's, you know, you driving the problem. Like, you can control what you say. Yeah. Right. I will never understand why white people have to, like, what, why? Like, what are you getting out of it? I don't know. It costs zero dollars to not say the N-word. Right. (laughs) It's just like, just have one thing that you don't do. You don't yeah, have, to have one thing word. that you have to, like, change your behavior around. Like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ugh, anyway. Oh my God. Yeah, like, I change my behavior around other people. Like, it is it is a survival mechanism. It's a thing right. people do. So expecting other people to do it on your behalf, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. It's a right. thing you're allowed to do. You're allowed to ask people right. to not say shitty things around you. Yes. The other coping mechanism I feel around the holidays is, like, pulling people closer in your family Mm -hmm. that you do have common ground with. Yeah. Like I've become so much closer with a couple of my cousins and other family members because of this political rift. So I think nurturing those connections and just trying to nurture the common ground that you do find with people because at the end of the day, we all crave the community that is built into the family structure. And whether that looks like a 
like quote unquote traditional family or whether that's more of like a friend group. We all crave that sort of deeper connection that comes with those sorts of relationships. Mm -hmm. And so when you do have something that you can agree upon or that you can build upon, I think really trying to nurture those relationships can be amazing. Absolutely. All right. Do we want to go around and say what we're thankful for this year? Yes. it's. I can't believe the time is already up. So I think to close out, we're going to go around and say what we're grateful for this year in the cheesiest fashion we could possibly end this show, which is how I would prefer that we do things. <laughs> yes. All right, Laura, do you want to start? No. Okay. <laughs> Kellen? <laughs> Yeah, sure. I I'm thankful for so many things. I'm thankful for y'all. You guys are wonderful. Um, but really, really, really thankful for for the camaraderie that this podcast has has brought us. I am mm-hmm. incredibly thankful for my family, my my partner, my brother the I have the best mom in the world um sorry to everyone else mm-hmm. out there uh, <laughs> I'm think- so thankful for her my stepdad my my grandparents you know just everyone um I I'm truly blessed with the, the family that I was just kind of randomly dropped into when I was born mm-hmm. thankful that I have you know the means to support myself um thankful for my health just everything thankful for my cats Mm-hmm. hell yeah sorry if uh they may have been the mic may have picked up one of them kind of like squeaks he doesn't really meow he like kind of oh. squeaks and chirps i think he was doing that earlier. never apologize so. i didn't hear it but never apologize if that happens <laughs> yeah so if y'all heard True. some 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 of that that was uh gerald thankful for gerald mm-hmm. all right yeah i'm so grateful for this podcast i'm grateful for this group of women. I'm grateful for like the new push toward the left. Uh, the I guess the motivation that people who were already leaning a bit further left than liberal have found in the past year and how that led to this. Um, I'm really grateful for how this podcast has kind of deepened my understanding of leftism and all of the issues that intersect with leftism. I'm grateful for, oh my God, I have so many more friends than I did last year. It's amazing. And most of them are women and like, it's the most beautiful thing. Um, I'm grateful for my partner. I'm grateful that he's working full time so I can go to school full time. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to go to law school. Like this has been a dream of mine for a very long time and it's actually happening and I'm drowning in it, but I'm having such a good time with it. I'm grateful for my cats as well, and uh, I'm grateful for my husband for letting us keep the kitten that was under our house this week. Uh, <laughs> finally got her yes, inside. Yes, you have a new kitty. Yes, I'm so happy. She's so cute. <laughs> She's precious. Yes. Yeah, I'm just, I thought I had a lot to be grateful for this past, like, last year. I mean, I always have a lot to be grateful for, but I just, mm. so many things have changed this year, and all of them that are coming to mind have been positive. I'm grateful for personal progress. Mm. <laughs> Your turn, Laura. <laughs> okay. I'm also extremely grateful for this podcast, not to jump on that bandwagon, but no, jump on it, it. it really has allowed me to kind of come into my own. And I also feel so supported and so connected to a strong group of women and also so connected to a larger group of people who are interested in feminism and leftism and are interested in hearing a bunch of women speak about those things. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for my partner. I'm grateful for my mom for being understanding. And I'm grateful for my therapist. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for feeling comfortable making tough decisions. Finally, (laughs) And I'm grateful for the dear friends I have who have stayed by my side for probably longer than anyone I could ever imagine being in my life. And I'm just so grateful for my support network uh, near and far. (laughs) 
Yay. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> uh, wow, that made me very nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> Let me just pour my heart out to the people that I know and love. I don't have any pets, but I dog sit and cat sit, and I love all those, and I'm happy for them and grateful for them. <laughs> Perfect. They're so cute. <sighs> wow. So thank you all for listening. Um, remember, you can get at us on Twitter and Instagram at Season of the Bee. You can send us your music or your thoughts at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. We have a website, seasonofthebee.com. Is that correct? Yeah. It is Season of the Bee, right? Okay. You can go to seasonofthebitch.com as well, and it'll redirect you, but you'll yes. go to seasonofthebee.com. Yes. And then we do have some merch left, very limited sizes, um, but we will be ordering more. And if you're an artist who wants to do some art for us and have it be on merch, that's super chill too. And you should totally do that. Yeah. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, give us your money on Patreon. I think that's it. Thank yeah. you Chelsea so much. Chelsea Manning, goes on, go on Season of the Bitch. Chelsea Manning, go on Season of the Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Love you. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Eat some tofurkey. <laughs>